This is Franz. Welcome back to the release, probably for around the 1st of June. And by that time, I will already be sailing in Greece at that point in time, working my way up to the Sporades Islands. This is going to be a very quick introduction. I want to thank my listeners that have written me and asked me questions, gives me something to comment on. This is the conclusion of my interview with Spike Hampson. I want to get Spike back again and talk about what he's been doing since these last two interviews, which was just one long interview that I broke up into two separate interviews because it went on so long. And also at the end of this interview, and I'm not going to give a closing comment at the end of the interview, but at the end of the interview, I do say, hey, this was for my original website, traveltradeexchange.com, which really no longer exists because evil people hacked it, and I'm not a computer scientist, and I didn't know how to fix it. So hopefully I've got enough antivirus, anti-hacking software built into this website that I don't lose it, but that's always the risk. There's always people that want to ruin work that other people do, and I don't understand the attraction, but it's there apparently. I did have one listener that said he would be willing to help me with some of the editing on my podcasts. I don't know how I can really do that. I'd have to give administrative privileges for somebody to do that. That entails a degree of risk, not the individual per se, but perhaps people that could hack into his passwords and get access to the site. But I'd like to have somebody help me, but I just have to have a degree of comfort before I'd let somebody else have administrative privileges on the website. If you have some suggestions, that'd be a good idea to let me know. Also, you'll notice at the end of this interview, I said my intent with that website was that other people would post their travel stories. Hey, let's open that up for this. If you've got some sailing stories, some travel stories you think other people would be interested in, if you will send me an MP3 file and it's good, I'll be glad to post it. I am looking for content to throw up here. There's a handful of people out there that enjoy listening to this podcast, and I'd like to be able to put out more content for them if I could. But I'm constrained by time, just like we all are. So with that out of the way, let's get on to this interview. And then when I get back, I will try to tell you what happened this summer. Thanks a lot. Sorry then. Okay, so you were asking me what what I what I what is vivid in my mind from this trip, and there's one incident in particular that that uh, I remember. And uh, generally, the great thing about going on these rivers is, you know, I could lose the boat, but I didn't think there was much risk to me because right? basically I can swim, and the river's not that big, and it's not that wild, and so. You know, I could do things wrong, I could lose the boat, and that was a constant worry, but I wasn't really concerned about myself. So uh, I, I get on the Yellowstone, and the Yellowstone joins the Missouri more or less on the border between North Dakota and Montana, which is really out in the middle of nowhere. This is the end of the world, basically. It's just short grass prairie, and this, it's, this is, it's actually the boom area for oil production these days, Williston, okay. North Dakota. But uh, just downstream on the Missouri, just east of where that junction is, maybe 20 miles, you the the river the Missouri empty uh, begins to flow into this big reservoir called 
Sakakawea, which is Sakajawea, the Indian woman, but they have their own distinct spelling for it. Now, people don't realize it, but this river is one devil to deal with because it is absolutely brown. You cannot see anything in it. So if you put your hand in the water, one inch below the surface, you won't see any of your hand, nothing. So for someone who's a novice trying to read this river, it's very, very difficult because you, you can't see anything below the surface. You only have the surface appearance of the water to give you any kind of cues or hints or anything. And the river is uh, it's characterized by a narrow, relatively deep channel with broad areas to either side that are very, very shallow. And this narrow channel weaves and wanders back and forth within the riverbed unpredictably. And if you're not in the channel, you, you're likely to be grounded, even with my boat, even in the spring. And this was happening to me. I, I got into the Missouri, and it was my first experience with it. And I was following it, but as I approached this Sakakawea, this big reservoir, Actually, what happens is that the flow of the river is now beginning to slow as it, as, the, as it enters into that reservoir. And because it's slowing, it's depositing material everywhere. And so you've got no hazards to speak of. It's all just sand, right? But it's everywhere, and it's very shallow, and, the, and you don't know where the channel is. And so I spent three or four hours going along at a very slow pace, by which I mean maybe two to three miles an hour. Uh, hardly any, any faster than the current. The current was flowing about two to three miles an hour. And I was just barely surpassing the speed of the current because I was afraid of running aground. Not because uh, I thought I'd damage the boat, but just because it's a lot of work getting it off. When I, when I run it aground, then I have to get out and, and basically hump the bow of the boat with my shoulders to get it released. Uh, so... Um, I'm doing this, and I'm running aground regularly, by which I mean perhaps once every uh, 15, 20 minutes. Right? Uh, so two or three or four, five, t four times an hour, I'm, I'm trying to get, yeah, you're looking at. I'm, I'm, right. I'm pulling up the, uh, yeah, there we go. Reservoir. And we're talking about this area right over in here. All right. W All right. We're looking at Google Earth, and I'm just looking at the, uh, uh, the visuals of what Spike's talking about. So, yeah, look um, at that. That's all shallow through there, isn't it? Yeah, now that, that part of the lake is right, actually right, reasonably, right here. this is not too much of a challenge. This is all deep enough. But right but here is where you're talking about, yes, right? Yes, that's where I'm talking about, from up in there out to here. Okay. Um, so from Williston out to basically the, uh, the I entrance. think this was taken late in the season because basically when I was there, this was all water. But that's the channel. Okay. Right? Oh, all right. And so the trouble is trying to find that doggone channel and stay in it. So for for our listeners, we're looking at a visual of of Google Earth, and it, and what Spike is talking about shows up as green grass right now, but that apparently was all underwater. That was underwater. When you were there. Yeah, because okay. it was earlier in the season. It was uh, we're talking about May right now. Okay. Right? So, um, and actually, this is the this is where the story happened. I'm coming down here. I'm running aground all the time, and I come around here, and I can see that now it's all it's beginning to open. And it looks like I'm in the reservoir, and it looks still. And I have just spent the last two hours pushing off of, of groundings. 
And I had gotten into a routine. The routine is that, you know, I'd go gently, and as soon as I'd hit something, I'd shut, the, you know, shut down the engine, run to the back, jump over the side, and and then trot up to the, the bow because with the one foot draft, that meant it would, the water was only coming up to my knees or so. And uh, uh, so I had a routine down. I I come around this corner, and all of a sudden, what I see in front of me actually is all across what appears to be the start of the reservoir proper, there appears to be a forest of dead trees. Runs from one side to the other. It's just the stumps of trees sticking up through the water. This is quite common on these reservoirs. They don't bother to take the trees down. They just die, and then you, you have them sticking up maybe 10, 15, 20 feet out of the water. And um, it's a rather sinister sight, actually. But you, I saw this, and I looked, and I... I throttled back, looked around. I couldn't find any place to get past these trees. It looked like they were everywhere from one side of the, of the reservoir over to the other. But I knew there had to be a channel somewhere. And I could see where, the, where the, the edge of the trees that I could see, the edge of the forest where I could see it. It looked like it was an arcing uh, um, initiation line. And the trees were uh, curved around a bend, it appeared. And so I thought, well, maybe the channel is just this side of where all the trees start, and I should just follow the trees fairly closely and to stay in the channel, right? Because I couldn't see any other, and I said, maybe I just can't see where that it, uh, the channel tur turns the other way because uh, it's too distant. And so I, I adopted that as a strategy. But now the wind is blowing from behind me at a pretty good pace, you know, not terribly strong, maybe... Uh, 10 miles an hour or something, but there's a breeze. It's not like you often have in, inland. It, it, there was a breeze, and it was from behind me over my left shoulder. Right? And so um, I'm following this this route that I've selected as being most probable for the channel, and I go aground, right? And so without thinking, I go to, you know, shut down the engine, go to the back, jump over the side, and when I do... I go right up to my neck. Now, fortunately, I had my hand on the carling. And I was in muck. I was in mud. And I, I was covered in muck from my waist down to my toes. And from my waist up to my neck, I was in the water. And wow. I'm... If I hadn't been holding on to the carling, actually, I don't think I ever would have gotten out of this. But I just happened to be holding the carling, so I, I was able to pull myself back up, and I, and I got myself into the boat. And when I got into the boat, I was just covered in mud, right? And uh, I, you know, I cleaned myself up as best I could, and I cleaned up the boat as best I could, and then I started up the engine to see if I could back myself out of this stuff. Uh, nothing doing. I tried the main engine, and... I was just sucking muck, and it was squirting out the back, out the jet. So I tried the little outboard. I have an outboard. I let it down and tried motoring with that, but it wouldn't push me. So the boat was stuck in this muck, and I, neither engine would move me out of it. And you can't push yourself out. And I can't push myself out because there's no s solid surface on which to stand to push. I think, what am I going to do? <laughs> now, it's a beautiful day. In spite of the wind, it's, it's, it's perfectly clear. There are hardly any clouds. It's late in the afternoon, early evening, and I'm sitting around. So I, I just 
clean up. And one thing that's nice about doing this trip is time is not a big issue. So I just sort of sat down and thought about things for a while. I said, well, what should I do? And after thinking about this for an hour or so, I thought, you know, I guess first thing I should do is I should I should let somebody know I'm here. <laughs> so so I thought, is there a way I can do that? And I got a, I had a cell phone and I got out the phone and sure enough I had one bar, and so I had a friend back in in Utah and I thought I'll call him and let him know I'm here. So if nobody hears from me for a couple of days, then then he'll do something about it. And so I called him and and he answered the phone and I talked to him for a few minutes, explained what had happened to me, and I said I just can't I, I'll figure out a way sooner or later, but I don't know what I'm going to do right now, but Everything is fine. The boat's fine. Nothing's damaged. I'm not damaged, but I'm stuck in the mud and uh, can't move. And uh, he said, well, you, you probably should let somebody local know as well if you can. And so that preyed on me. And I finally, after I hung up, I thought, yeah, I guess he's right. So I, I tracked down a number for the, the county sheriff, called the sheriff's office and said, look, I don't, I don't need help. I, I, I'm, I'm fine and I'm happy, but I want you to know that I'm out here stuck in Lake Sakakawea that's such and such a location up its upstream end and in muck, and uh, I'm about a quarter of a mile from shore, but I can't figure out at present how to move, but I'm sure I will, but I just want you to know I'm here. Well, that wasn't good enough for them. You know, They got to rescue me. This is, this is their thinking. Right? <laughs> and so we had this ongoing discussion for about a half an hour about them coming out to rescue me and my resisting. I say, no, I really don't, don't want to be rescued. I'm, I'm fine. I can, I, you know, I'll call you in a day or two if I'm still in terrible shape. I just called to let you know I'm here. Right? But they were very, very persistent. And finally I, I caved. The most exciting thing that's happened to them all week. <laughs> yeah, well, that's only part of the story. So... Um, they say, we'll be out there in, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour or something. I can't remember what the time was, but something fairly reasonable, an hour maybe. And I said, okay, well, thank you very much. Well, it's now about 8 or 9 at night because this is May, early, before June, but, you know, it's a really long day, so it doesn't get dark until 9.30 or so. Um, so it's the end of day, but it's still beautiful out there, and I'm sitting and waiting for them. I hear a noise in the distance, and finally they show up, and it's three guys in orange jumpsuits on one of these uh, airplane boats. You know the type oh, of... Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, right? swamp boat sort of. A swamp boat. Now, the deal is they just bought this thing. <laughs> so they are very eager to try it out. That's why they wanted to rescue me. That's why they wanted to rescue me, is they wanted to use this boat. Right? Justify so, the new toy they just <laughs> that's bought. exactly right. <laughs> so they come out, and this thing is making a, a, a huge amount of noise, as you can imagine. And all three of the guys are wearing these ear, you know, earmuffs. earmuffs yeah, and yeah. and uh, they, they reach me, and it's obvious that they're not boaters. Right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they're they're okay. They're, it's just a runabout, but they don't really. They don't know how to. They deal don't with know boats. a lot about boating. Yeah. So I don't know a lot either. But since even I could tell they don't know a lot about boating, they clearly didn't, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, um, they they said, well, here, what we'll do is, uh, uh, we can't drag you, we can't tow you because you see. There's no place to tie on on the back of the boat. They don't yeah, have yeah. With that, with where that, would you tie uh, onto it? There's nothing in tie right. to it. So, so they said, "Well, we'll tie side by side." And I thought, "Well, I'm not sure that'll work. I think you know it'll probably just go around in circles." And um, 
They said, well, we'll give it a try. And I said, okay. So we tried that. And indeed, we went around in, went circles. Around in circles. And okay. that didn't work. So we, it had to be a direct pull. So then they said, well, look, uh, this has got a scow-type bow. It's dead. You know, it's a... You're going to um, push it now, huh? Well, no. They want to run a line from the bow underneath the boat and pull okay. me from the bow. And I said, well, I, if you think you can keep that line under the bow of the boat? And they said, yeah, I think we, we think we can do it. And they wanted to try that. And I said, okay, well, we can give that a try. Thank sure. you. And so, uh, so they gave me the end of a line and, uh, and they told, asked me to tie it off. And so I tied to the cleat up on the, my deck in front of the windshield and ran it through the chuck up at the, up at the bow where the anchor line would go. And the fellow who's in charge on the boat says, no, 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 don't tie it there. He says, tie it down below. Tie it on, the, on your eye where you pull boat out of the water because that's much stronger. And I, I, I said, well, yeah, but then I can't get at it. I can't reach there, you know, but if it's up on the bow, I can deal with it. And he said, yeah, but it's, it's not going to be strong enough on the bow. And he was very insistent. And I argued with him for a few minutes, but I finally came to the conclusion that, you know, they're rescuing me. I really kind of have to cooperate, don't I? So I said, okay. So, so I tied it to the, the eye down below where you pull a boat out of the water. Right? So it's now out of reach for me. I can't get to it. So then these guys organize themselves, and it's now twilight. It's now getting gray light. And they're starting to um, organize to motor away from me to pull me. And I realize that they have given me a line that's on a drum that's got 500 feet of line. And it's, it's this, uh, you know, polyethylene or the floating stuff mm -hmm. just floating on the water. And the guy who's tending the line, he's pulling it off this drum and just throwing it in the water. Just, you know, all of this line. I mean, hundreds of feet of it. And so we got all this loose line lying in the water. The wind is carrying it all downstream or downwind, which is actually into the trees, which are only about 40 feet away. Right? And sure enough, uh, it gets in amongst the trees just at the time when they decide they're going to pull me. And so they start to pull forward, and it pulls the front of my boat immediately the to the right and draws me right into those trees. So I'm, I'm now tugged right into the trees, and uh, I'm snugged up against one. I got another one up near my, uh, the stern of the boat, and, um, and I have no idea what the depth is like underneath the, this. And <laughs> so, so they come back when they see this disaster. I, of course, I'm yelling at them as soon as this all starts to happen, but they can't hear a thing. Right. right? And they can hardly see anymore because it's getting so dark. So finally, they, they come back, and they say, well, we, we can't do any more tonight, but... Uh, just hop aboard, and we'll come back and sort it out tomorrow. And I said, no, I'm not leaving my boat. I'm staying here overnight. And we had this long discussion about this for a while. But finally, they, they caved and they said, okay, well, we'll be back. As soon as it's dawn tomorrow, we'll be back to, to tow you out. And incidentally, if you could, try to retrieve this line. Because <laughs> they, they had it all over in the water, and it was all over the place. So, so I, um, I said, okay, very good. I'll do what I can. And uh, so the arrangement was they were going to return in the morning. So I then worked on trying to get this line loose, and I, somehow it did get loose. I managed to fish it back into the boat. So, yeah, did. so did they cut the line, or did they throw all 500 feet in they the water? They threw all 500 feet of it in the water. Okay. Right? And it's all floating, 
and it's all tangled around things. But but when I pulled on it, I managed to break it loose a whole bunch of times, and it it all came into the boat. And the whole back of my boat was filled with line. Right? And so I get that all the stuff in. Now my boat is an open boat. That is, it's got a little cabin on the front, but it's like a fishing boat. The whole back is open, and I have a bimini that runs from the back of the cabin all the way to the back of the boat that I can stand under. And I also have plastic curtains that I can zip on on all three sides to enclose this area in a rainstorm or that sort of thing or whatever I want. Uh, but I didn't have those zipped on. I got the line in. It was a beautiful evening. I sat down and drank a bottle of wine and tried to think about what in the world I was going to do. And I worked out a plan. I figured, all right, I'm going to get up before these guys are out here. And I'm going to take my inflatable kayak and I'm going to fill it with air and I'm going to take that line out to a tree through the forest, tie it to the tree and see if I can pull my boat to that tree and see if I can ratchet my way through this forest over to the other side of it, which I could now see. I could see about 200 yards away. I could see okay. that there was, a, there was the end of this forest and then hopefully I can get some open water there. Right? Um, and so that was my plan. Right? So I finally had a plan in place. The bottle of wine was gone. And I, it, it was beautiful out. It was just perfect temperature. Everything was wonderful. I looked up, and I looked at the underbody of the, this, this bimini top. And it was black with mosquitoes. Absolutely covered. I mean, it was as if the whole thing was coated in mosquitoes. Right? And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Now, I hadn't been bitten. I hadn't had any sound of insects. I hadn't, nothing had happened. But, but there were all these mosquitoes there. So then I, I got out some, something to try to whack mosquitoes, and I, I killed about, you know, one one-hundredth of one percent of all the mosquitoes there and got nowhere after 15 minutes of effort. And I said, this is ridiculous. I'm not getting anywhere. But they weren't bothering me. And I then thought, well... I'm, I'm just going to have to go to bed and get in the sleeping bag and pull it up over my head and just take a straw or something and <laughs> just try to stay uncovered. And that's what I did. I had no trouble with mosquitoes. Woke up in the morning, they were all gone. Right? Never got bit, nothing. But anyway, I was fine. Got up in the morning, got out, and I was starting to get ready to uh, unship the, uh, the, uh, inf the kayak. And when I walked around the boat, there was a little bit of play. It was tipping a little side to side, and I thought, maybe I'm not stuck in the mud, right? So I, uh, um, and the wind was still blowing, and so I, I push, I, I got up on the bow and pushed the bow of the boat away from the tree that I was stuck against, and it was evidently just cradled between some branches, because as soon as I pushed it away, it started to drift down through this forest. I stayed up there in the bow of the boat, and over the course of two to three minutes, the boat just drifted down through this forest of trees, and I had a paddle, and I pushed myself off of trees and just got the boat to go in the open spots and merge at the other side, clear open water. Right. So I'm now out of this mess. Right? <laughs> and um, So I called him up and said, ah, no need to come and get me. I've got it. Everything is clear. I'm, I'm all set. Uh, but I do have your rope, so we've got to figure out something about that. And so we made an arrangement. There's a place about 20 miles down the reservoir where there's an Indian reservation and a small store, and I made an arrangement to leave the, leave the line there. 
and then spent the next two hours inching along because my I do have a depth uh, depth sounder, and, huh? and it, 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 it I had no depth. You know, it was just very, very shallow, and I was worried about these trees because I was afraid there was some broken off below water level, and I was going to stab the boat with one of them. So this was probably the most memorable portion, um, most memorable event on the Missouri section of the trip, although I had lots of other very interesting things happen. Did did you, uh, what was your longest distance between Phillips, between fuel? Do you have enough... well, I, my <laughs> capacity to get where you need to go. I had no. Uh, well, there were problems in in Montana and North Dakota, um, but you know, every forty, fifty miles, there's a there's a bridge across the river somewhere. Right? Okay. And when there's a bridge, there's almost always a little village or a town or something. And I have jerry cans that I kept that are on on the boat, and I've got my bike. And I had worked out a system where I could ride my bike and carry the jerry cans on the bike. This is really a sight to see, and it keeps all the motorists away because they're scared to death when they see me wandering down the road with these two gas tanks wobbling from side to side. But in any event, no, I just I'd pedal to town and find a gas station and fill up the two jerry cans and pedal back and stick them on the boat and carry on. Right? So no, uh, gas was not a problem for me. So that was that was a real memorable trip that experience that summer then. Oh, that summer was very mem- well. Actually, whole every summer? summer has been been really quite remarkable. But that whole summer was great. I had all kinds of unusual things happen to me. I loved it. Oh, keep going, <laughs> keep talking. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, oh, sorry, I've got something ringy here. I guess I'll shut off. Um. Well, I can I can tell one other one. I right. should probably pack it in. But this is, uh, I've gotten down most of the way down the Missouri now. I'm not into the state of Missouri yet, but I've done most of the upper part of the Missouri. I've passed three or four of the reservoirs. And uh, I'm in one of these reservoirs near its dam. And I'm talking to someone on shore, and he's asking what I'm doing. And I, I explain what I'm doing and so on. And, and he says, oh, well, when you get down there to the Mississippi, you watch out because... Um, they got they got these leaping catfish, and and if you're not careful, they're going to jump right into your boat and they're going to smack you right in the head. <laughs> and he was really very serious about this, and I was, uh, I, I I guess you could say I was skeptical, but I filed it away. I thought, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. But people have a way to they tend to exaggerate things a bit, and I don't know, you know, leaping catfish sounds a little bizarre to me, but okay. So I, I filed it away, and that was that. So I carry on, and weeks go by, in fact, over a month, because I then took a break and went back to Utah and then returned to the boat in Kansas. And then uh, by late August, I was finally approaching the Mississippi. And um, Good. All right. I just want to make sure I was recording, because I've done this before and forgot to push the button. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get on the Mississippi, and I'm heading up the Mississippi, and then I get into the Illinois. And, and where the Illinois joins the Mississippi, I, I went upstream there, and I was maybe 30 miles upstream. And this is a beautiful area, actually. There's just very little in the way of development. It's all very pristine, and it's, it's a lovely region. And um, so I'm on the Illinois River, and it's much more uh, uh, scenic than I had ever imagined it might be. Um, but I, I'm motoring along in the early afternoon, 
And I hear this splashing behind me. And I look around. And of course, by the time I look around, there's nothing to see. And this happens a bunch of times. And I begin to think, do I have leaping fish back there? Do I have maybe catfish or something? Right? And so I keep wondering, but I never see anything. But I keep hearing these splashes. And I wonder if I'm going mental or something. Right? And so there's this one particularly big sound. I look around, nothing. Uh, but I, have, I got up and walked to the back of the boat and looked around, and I couldn't see what was causing this noise. And I got back, walked back up to the cabin, and the way it's laid out in the cabin, there's a bench seat over on the right side, and there's a passageway on the left port, and uh, then you can slip onto the bench seat. So I, I walked up through the passageway and, and slipped over onto the bench seat, and as I sat down on the bench seat and looked out the side window, this huge fish is coming right at me, right at the window, right? And I, I turned to look at the window just as he's in midair, and he smashes into the window and thumps down off the side of my boat and leaves this streak of slime and blood or something, reddish and grayish material, running down the window and off the boat. I said, my, holy shit, there are leaping <laughs> catfish here. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so then I start watching behind me all the time. Instead of just, you know, looking ahead, I'm watching behind. Sure enough, there are all these fish jumping. You know, every four, ten seconds is this fish jumping out of the water. And I thought, God, what is this all about? And sorry, do you need to take a break here? Go ahead. We're recording. I'll just. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just sort of finish this off. So. So I now think, you know, I, I, this guy was on the, over on the Missouri. He was kind of crazy, but something's going on here. And uh, there are these huge leaping fish. Uh, and when I say huge, I mean we're talking about fish that are, oh, what, uh, 18 inches, 20 inches in length, something like that, uh, a few pounds. And uh, so I'm now watching, and I'm seeing a lot of these fish, and I'm, jumping up and and it seems as if it's all happening right behind the boat so evidently the sound of the engine is causing them to get agitated and to leap oh. and they're jumping all over the place behind me and I'm back there and now I'm watching the scene I'm kind of splitting my attention between getting up the getting going upstream and steering the boat and watching what's going on behind me and I'm standing there in the passageway with my hand on the steering wheel and uh Darned if this fish doesn't jump out of the water behind the boat, he's got to be at least 8 to 10 feet behind the boat. And he comes out of the water and arcs right up to me and smashes into the back of the seat in the cabin. <laughs> and then he's flopping around on the floor of the boat. And I have to, I have to corral him with a bucket and toss him <laughs> overboard. <laughs> so, so now I'm a complete believer in this leaping catfish thing. So then... I, a little while later, I go around a bend in the river, and there's this uh, lodge over on the side up on stilts. Well, not a lodge, but it's like a bar and a restaurant and a place. To, there's a little dock to tie off your boat, and it's kind of rustic river spot, and, mm -hmm. and it's open. So I think, oh, I'm going to go get something to eat there. And so I do, and go in, and there's nobody else there except the bartender. And then this other old guy comes in, and they're spending all their time talking about duck hunting. And... So I eventually raised the topic of these leaping fish with them. 
and they get all disgusted. They don't even want anybody to know about this. They're just really distressed about these fish. And it turns out they're, they're actually an Asian carp, and they've gotten imported into the Mississippi system some, I don't know, 20-odd years ago or so. And they've worked their way up, and they, they occupy certain niches or certain sections of the river in great numbers. And they're pushing out the all, native species, all the native yeah. species, and they're a serious issue. I, I don't know if they really are so terrible tasting, but uh, nobody wants to fish for them anyway. So everybody's quite distressed about the effect these these. I've heard a few stories on that this year that's hitting national public radio. The oh, yeah, fishing game is trying to figure out how to stop them from going, getting into Lake Michigan, I exactly, guess. Exactly. Exactly. It's, that's right, because you've got these, uh, and, and they believe they have a system, but in fact they have already found one of these Asian carp on the wrong side of their barrier. Oh. Okay. Right? So, you know, it's highly likely they're going to make it into Lake Michigan sooner or later. So you went right through downtown Chicago then. Oh, I did. Yeah, that was exciting. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> and, and, and funny thing, I, one other thing that I could talk about is when I, when I came out of there. You know, you see, I've, up to that point, it's all been on rivers. The boat is designed for rivers. Everything is cool, and I'm, I've gotten adjusted now. I begin to be able to steer the boat. I mean, the boat's impossible to steer. Jet drives are just terrible things to handle, just terrible, because... You it's always kicking the back one way or the other, right? That's well, the problem is that you only get effective steering if you have speed, right? If you go slowly, it doesn't do anything. And you combine that with a current in a river, and you, you just, you know, it, it becomes very difficult to learn to, to manage a jet drive on a river at very slow speeds. And I don't want to go fast. I want to go slowly. But every time I go slowly, I bump into things because I can't get the boat to go in the direction I'm expecting it to go. Right? So it's a. Uh, but I was beginning to get the, the hang of, of that. It, yeah. and, okay. and, you know, I could manage the boat. And I was getting quite comfortable. But now I, I was facing the Great Lakes. Now at that point, the Great Lakes struck me as being major. Right? Um, they're nothing compared to where I am now. But at that point, I didn't have any experience. And I thought, well, can I can I cope on Lake Michigan? Is it going to be okay? Um, and so I'm, I'm anxious about the lakes, not, not explicitly all the time anxious, but I just know it's preying on me a little bit. Am I going to be able to, to survive in that kind of environment? Because it's kind of like the next challenge. It's the excitement too. It's the right. fun, you know? Um, so I, I come through Chicago and they've got a little control dam right, right before you enter the lake. Um, I, I don't think the water rise or fall is more than a foot and I don't even I don't even know if there is any kind of difference but they have a barrier that has to open up and let you out um, and you you get into this somewhat protected basin it's got uh, concrete um, walls in the water that stick up above water level that that create an artificial harbor sort of thing that sticks out maybe uh, a quarter of a mile and is maybe a half a mile broad and I got in this thing and I was being thrown all over the place. Boats had thrown up so much uh, uh, wake, wake I guess. and so on, and it was all so confused. It was just, it was chaotic. And for my small boat, um, it was just scary. I mean, I was getting tossed all over the place. I, and I mean, it was only five or ten minutes. I was outside of that and onto the lake proper, and on the lake proper, it was 
perfectly civilized because the waves all came from one direction, right? <laughs> uh, but in that little harbor, I thought, my God, if this is what it's like, I'm never going to survive on this lake. But uh, uh, as soon as I got out of that little space, uh, I, I was uh, reassured because it wasn't so bad. But Were then you? I did go up just north of there to this harbor, this, um, oh, shoot, I can't remember the name of it now. But there's a boat harbor uh, immediately north of where the, where the channel comes into the lake. A lovely place. And uh, went in there and, and, well, I guess there's not that much of a story to it except that it was late in the season now. We're now talking about uh, mid-September, something like that, early to mid-September. And... Um, it was just another example of one of these times when people sort of took care of me because I didn't really have any money at all at that time. Uh, and I didn't really want to stay in a marina because, I, you know, it's going to cost a fortune. And a marina in Chicago was a really scary thought. And so... Um, yeah. Again, we're looking yeah. at Google Earth, right? Yeah. And so I, I sneaked up to the, to the very south end of this long marina, and that is the one. Okay. There's a bridge there. And I tucked in underneath that bridge and tied off under the bridge, just off the map down here, right there. Right? Okay. Because uh -huh. right? there was nobody around. <laughs> nah, maybe I could just tie off here. <laughs> and then I went and talked to the uh, – to um, no, someone came by and said, you know, bad things happen if you just try to sneak in here and – and tie off tie off yes, this is a very elite sort of place and people with all kinds of money have their boats in there and it was obvious that it was a pretty fancy marina because the boats in there were expensive boats and so um i had thought well i better not do this i better go talk to the to the the harbor master, harbor master. Yeah. so i went and talked to the harbor master and and he turned out to be really nice he let me stay there for four nights for like 20 bucks a night and something like this so it was it was fine but you know, ordinarily he would have charged me, I think, 60 or something of this sort. Oh. Wow. Well, you can't leave us hanging there. you got to at least take us through the next year. So you got so you, <laughs> you got to take us around to where you left the boat that year then. Okay, well, that... Um, so you were in Chicago for about four nights then, huh? Did you... Well, from Chicago, and now we're in September. Okay. All right. And um, I, I really was shocked. I thought I'd be able to get out of cold country before the end of the first season. I thought I'd be able to get down to, you know, Maryland or something pretty easily. Right? But no, I'm not anywhere near there. And so I, I think, yeah, I've got to store the boat, so I better, I'll start thinking about that. But I'll keep going until the weather kind of changes, right? which is what I did. So I, headed, I was going to go up along that, the west coast of the lake because it's, it looks so picturesque. I wanted to go to the Dora Peninsula and that, mm -hmm. that set of islands around there. I thought that would be wonderful. But the more I looked at the, the maps of the area, the more it became evident that you had better um, harbors along the Lake, uh, the Michigan State side. And so I decided I was going to follow that shore instead. And uh, that I don't know what would have happened if I'd gone the other way, but this way turned out to be very nice. I had a wonderful time. But I left Chicago and went to um, Michigan City, Indiana, which is right down there at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And... I had I had trouble there. I had engine trouble once again. Um, now, had you had a lot of engine problems during the trip at all? I had had yes, I had had problems, but it wasn't um, it wasn't mechanical problems with the engine. The engine is actually a a um, uh, Mazda rotary okay. block 
Uh-huh. That's why it's so light. It's an aluminum engine. Right? And so it's like 350 pounds, and it's 240 horsepower. So it's a lot of power for very light weight. Okay. And the engine itself is very simple and in terms of the mechanical action. Um, but I had had problems with the fuel delivery system. And I couldn't... F- I had trouble when I couldn't get the... Uh, oh, gosh. i got to go back and read what happened. But I had all oh, kinds fuel of... Fuel pump problem or something along those we lines? We thought it was fuel pump, but we tested the fuel pumps, and it didn't appear to be that. Um, so my my philosophy with this was I go until I can't go anymore. So if the main engine quits, then I use a little outboard, right? If uh, whatever happens, I'll I'll just keep going until... I can't anymore because now it's on the lake. It's a little different because now there's more exposure. But up until that point, I've been thinking, you know, I'm just on the river. Whatever happens, I can just get over to the side of the river and then deal with it. But if every time I have any kind of problem, I'm going to go sort it out. Since I'm not truly a mechanic, I thought, this, I'll never get anywhere. So so I had a pretty casual attitude about all of this sort of stuff, right? Um, And so, yes, I did have problems with... uh, um, not getting fuel to the engine properly, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Right? But uh, I've forgotten now what it was. But I got it sorted out eventually and carried on. And uh, and I can't remember now what the problem was in in uh, in Michigan City. Michigan then. City. I'd have to go back and read it to to remind it's myself. It's a good thing you keep a journal in, right? Yeah, it is a good thing <laughs> because I don't <laughs> I don't remember anything from a lot of these days. But I imagine when you got on the lake, you could finally open it up and go with speed then, right? I could, but I didn't. Okay. All right. Um, so what was your average speed, do you think? Maybe six, seven, eight, nine knots? Well, now, uh, when I was going down the intercoastal waterway, that would be classic because it's basically still water in a lot of places, a little bit of current, but not much. Mm-hmm. And I used a little outboard engine for oh, really? that. If, if I've got deep water, I'd use nothing but the little, I had a 10-horse Yamaha four-stroke. And it okay. pushes the boat at hull speed, which is six miles per okay, hour. Okay, so it's not a planing hull then. Oh, with the main engine it is. Okay. The main engine will push the boat at around 30 miles an hour. Okay. Right? So it's not extremely fast, but you could get up and move. Um, but I had no money at this point, and gas to keep this thing going was impossible. The little outboard, I could run for days. Um, okay. I, had 65, I have 65 gallons of fuel on board when I'm fully loaded up. All right. Two 25-gallon tanks that are built in, and then three jerry cans that have five or six gallons each, okay. so roughly 65 gallons. And if I, if I put that all through the little outboard, I could go hundreds of miles. If I put it all through the, the big engine, you can 50 I, miles. <laughs> well, I can go 100. Okay. But, you know, uh, just barely. All right. So, uh, and this was right when gas prices were beginning to take off, and I was really scratching for money anyway, and um, so I, I wasn't motivated to to spend a, a lot of money spend on spend a lot of money on fuel. Okay. And I was happy going slowly most of the time. Right? It was fine. I, now, are you hanging pretty close to shore along here? Or are you going oh, out yes, in the middle? Yes. Okay. On, on Lake Michigan, I was really close to shore. In fact, um, the first yeah, I, I just followed that coastline. All the um, way around then. Huh? All the way around and up to the top. And the, and the first time I made an open crossing, basically, was across that bay up at the top. What's it called? Uh, Mackinac, Mackinac, or it's um, anyway, by Mackinac Island then, well, right? Uh, just before Mackinac, yeah, up there. That 
Traverse City and that yeah, area right. up in there. Coming yeah. across here was the first time I did any kind of okay. open passage, really. So we're looking up in the upper peninsula of uh, Lake Michigan and the North Bay of, I guess, I guess Traverse City is at the bottom. Yeah, the yeah, bottom. Traverse City. The, yeah. I didn't go into Traverse City. So I you just, just came up and cut across, across the yeah. upper end I of that I stayed up. I, there's a town in here. I can't remember what it's called. Charlevoix. That's where I stayed. Yeah. And if you if you zoom in, you'll see you can go in a little channel and get into a very oh, protective yeah, very area. Whole whole inland yeah. lake it looks like Lake Charlevoix. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, the next day, I did cross the open water to get up to Mackinac. So I went straight up to here. Okay. Right? Oh, you went up to the island then. Okay. Yeah, I went up through here and then came through here. Okay. And then spent the next night at Mackinac, which is... Right there. Yeah. Right there. yeah. I've done the Chicago to Mackinac race twice. Have you really? Yeah. On the oh, start. wow. That's great. It's a beautiful little island up there. Oh, that is a beautiful island. So now, great. where did you winter the boat? Did you winter the boat I in? Winter the boat at, let's go back down to where Grand Haven is. Okay. So down, um, so you, this is where you wintered the boat that year then, huh? Uh, Muskegon, south of Muskegon, Holland. So was I thought it, it was, I thought Grand Haven was north of Holland. Actually, I think it's. Is it? Right in here. Whitehall, Muskegon. Maybe not. Maybe it was south of Holland. South Haven. Yeah, it was. It was South Haven where I... Okay, the there it is. Okay. Yeah. There's a big pier that comes out here. There should be something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I came in and I ended up... Um, I went upstream a couple miles and there was... Some, uh, I think this might have been the marina here where I stayed. Okay. And so they put it in indoor storage there. Okay. So you had to pay for storage then. I paid for storage, but it was very cheap. It was, I think... Uh, I think it only cost me around 300 bucks for the whole winter. It was very cheap. Pretty reasonable. Yeah. I thought at the time. Um, so that was where the boat was for that winter. And then I went back out the following spring. This is now 2006. Uh, okay, we're going to get you back for another talk yeah. on this. because, But I want, I want just people to know what your plans are for the next year. Because I think, I think the next time I'm going to be talking to you is probably going to be over Skype. Because you're heading off to... Uh, all yeah. sorts of First of all, I want you to tell them about your website, about your book, and about uh, the other <laughs> okay. adventures you've had. Because I've got up here on the website, and I've been to www.spikehampson.com. You've been all over the place. It's H-A-M-P-S-O-N, uh, Spike, S-P-I-K-E-H-A-M-P-S-O-N.com. But yes. you wrote a book, and you gave me a copy of it, of your Biking travels through the Caucasus, so that's one of the books you've got for sale, right? Yes, that that has. Uh, is that the book that you have? Yeah, you have the other one. Uh, chasing. Uh, no, no, this uh, no, that's the same one. That's <laughs> okay. Stalking, stalking. Yeah, that's right. yeah, this the title of that book is very shocking to women, but I don't care. I'm not trying to sell it, and it doesn't mean what they think it means. <laughs> it's called Stalking Youth and Women in the European Outback, and it's about bicycling around Corsica and then going to the Russian Caucasus and bicycling there as well as visiting with an internet girlfriend. Right. Okay. So uh, and that was the first book. And that's a different, I'd like to talk about that sometime because that was a, a, a very, uh, um, it, it was it had a big effect on me. That trip had a big effect on me because it was the start of my trying to write. I'd always okay. wanted to be a writer, but I'd never exercised the discipline. But that, that particular book, which is a very short book, it's only about 60,000 words, um, I wrote the whole thing on the trip. And 
when I was landing in the airport back in Salt Lake City at the end of that trip, I was writing the last couple of paragraphs of that book. Okay. And I discovered then that when I'm on my own and traveling, I can write. Now, now do you write longhand or, or do you write? That book I did. Okay. But now I don't. Now it's all on a computer because I have my courses that I have to manage online. So I have a laptop with me all the time and I, I write on the computer, which is much easier and faster, you know. Okay. But that one I did write longhand. I went and bought a spiral pad and sat down in a in a harbor town in, in Corsica and started writing up the first day and liked what I wrote. So then I just carried on with the routine the whole way. All right. So that's one book about your yeah. bike travels there. What what other book have you written? Because well, I, obviously I don't have your other book then. Well, the, this, the book about this boat trip. I, I've ri- I've written one okay. that's much bigger, much longer book. It's about it's four hundred and fifty pages. It's called uh, Going Home. Okay. Actually, I think you can bring it up at the website if you go to writings. Um, there we go. I like the uh, picture there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of scam things off the online. I know you're not supposed to do that. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. So here's the books. And, all yeah. right. So, so this is about the boat trip. And this is about the first two seasons. Okay. Right? Up until the end of the second season, which gets the boat to Prince Edward Island out in the Gulf of the St. Lawrence. Okay. I took the boat that far by the end of the second season, stored it there, and then I took my bike Friday and bike south from there to Connecticut. Really? Um, yeah, it was the fall. It was perfect time because it was when the colors were changing on the trees. And in the process, I bicycled back to my hometown in New Hampshire where I had grown up. Huh. This was not part of the plan. I'd never really planned to do this, but my daughter lives in Connecticut. And so I thought, well, I'll bike down and visit my daughter and then fly back to Utah. But en route, I went to my, where I had grown up next to this lake in New Hampshire and visited my old school, my, you know, the nearest town and, and my home ground. And uh, so that's the reason for the title of the book, of Going Home. So you don't sell this book. This is free for downloading? No. Well, you can, you can read it online if you want. I do sell it if you want to go to... Because I just clicked on it, it's downloading. Yeah, it will. You can okay. read the whole thing online. Okay. Um, it, but when it comes up, it looks blank, but if you scroll down, it's just the blank first page of the book, you know. Okay. So it's there. You just have to scroll down a ways. Um, so I don't really try to sell these books uh, because I. that's a game. That's a, that's a brutal game, and I, I don't want to Well, now, my now head Spike, i got to give you a hint because I've, I've published two books now. Right. I think I've made a total of... <laughs> Less than $200 on royalties, <laughs> but I am making money on them, so I'm a professional author, and I well, can write it off. That's what I do. I do okay. write it off. I use it as a, as a business, yep. and, it, and so I can justify lots of The IRS trips. doesn't require that you're smart. No, it doesn't require you make huge amounts of money. You just no. have to run a stupid business. That's right, so, and I did it on Kindle, so I just published on Kindle. And it's, oh, it's available. It's, it's, uh, it's available on Kindle, so you All should right. put yours on Kindle. You've already got it in the yeah, format. Yeah, you're right. I should do it. I, I've got, got to get it organized. Yeah. So actually, I've got a number of other books in project. One is, see, this first book about the boat trip is for the first two seasons. Now, I've got another book that's written that is the next three or four seasons where I get the boat from uh, Prince Edward Island down to the Bahamas. Okay. Right? The, the tentative title of which is Day Tripping to Dreamland. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's similar in nature to the first book uh, about the trip in that it's it's the log reworked into a more uh, comfortable narrative 
right? But I've taken all the material because, as you can see, I can't remember things, so I have to go you back and write it down. It. So yeah. I, I, I just rewrite it, or if I like the way it's written, I just modify it slightly and uh, patch it together in a way that and leave out the crummy parts or try to, and, you know. So I've got that book that I'm working on, but I have a couple others too. I've got a book um, that I've finished called The Photograph, which is. Um, I haven't got it online or anywhere. I haven't got it in, in firm form yet because I've never really been completely happy with my editing. I want to edit it some more. And I, nobody ever works on them except me. I'm the only person who ever works on these books. I don't get anybody to look at it or anything. But this, this the photograph is a mystery novel about a political science professor at the University of Utah who, who uh, discovers a dead body on a trail up in the Park City area. Okay. And then runs into all kinds of complications which fo which lead him to try to find out what's going on by traveling down to Mexico to the hometown of the dead man and this all got started because I went down to visit my parents in Arizona and then took a trip to Mexico just a road trip for six weeks just went down and stayed in some towns along the Pacific coast and while I was there I started writing this book and I got it Oh, two-thirds written, came back, and that was the end of it. No more writing on the book. So four years later, I thought, i got to finish that book. So I took another trip to Mexico, <laughs> went to Tosco, <laughs> spent three weeks in Tosco and finished the book. And so that one I've got to get cleaned up and finished. And then last year I started a book on how to ski. So I've, I've got a... You've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of books that are you're working on all at the same time then. Yeah, but I don't work hard. I mean, I you know I'm a dilettante when it comes to this. I, I I'm not expecting to make money out of it, so I don't don't really don't work really hard at it. That's right. And I find I don't write if I'm here. I only write if I travel. Okay. Right? So when I'm on the boat, I'll write the log. When I'm traveling overseas, I'll write something. So you're going to be doing a lot of writing in the next few months, then, aren't you? Actually, I'm hope this time I'm going to India not so much purely for the trip and the pleasure of traveling around, but I've got to do this exchange program where I'm teaching a course at a university there. Okay. And so I'll be sort of in residence for at least a month. And I, I don't know how successful I would be at writing during that time, but I do expect to do some editing of the stuff I've done. So maybe I can get the photograph whipped into shape, or maybe I can get a little bit more written on that book on skiing or this last trip, I just got back from the Middle East, and I wrote a log of my travels in the Middle East. And I, I want to try to clean that up and turn it into a, a small book, similar to that first one, you know, 50,000, 60,000 words, something short. Um, so well, it sounds like I'm going to have you back, or at least we're going to be talking about a few more of your stories, because we barely scratched the surface now, haven't we? We, we really, yeah. I mean, I can think of lots of wonderful things to talk about. This is, but you know, it's so easy to talk about yourself, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if you, uh, uh, you know, the reason I started out this podcast is I thought people would want to get online and tell their stories. Would would want to send me an MP3 and I'd put it up and people could share their uh -huh. stories because you know a lot of people write blogs, but yeah. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm not going to go listen to watch. Write, I'm not going to go read somebody's blog. But I don't mind listening to stories. I love the spoken word. But, you know, nobody's done that. Oh, yeah. I should take that back. One person has actually recorded his own story of his own travels and sent it in. I've posted it. But nobody oh, wow, else has. Good. So yeah. if you want to do that, if you ever feel like just talking about some of your stories, 
hey, send me the MP3 file. We'll st- we'll throw them up there. So it's ah, okay. I'll, all right. Yeah. No, n- very few people do it. Nobody's you know, like I say, only one person has done it. But that was my original intention when I set up this website initially. Was yeah. people would share their audio travel stories. Yeah, it hasn't worked out that way. So. Yeah, well, the the great thing about audio, I think, is it's a little bit more forgiving. I mean, you don't have to be absolutely tight with everything you say to to no. convey the idea, no. and people are are willing to accept the fact that you haven't really held it together. We're completely. not professional <laughs> broadcasters, so right. yeah, we're just telling yeah. a story, and yeah. and I like. Well, I'd that. love I'd to come back sometime. It'd be great. All right, I'd like to do it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right.